I would just like to take a moment and introduce to you all Reverend David McIntosh. Um, he is a good friend, and Stuart asked me to stress that he is one of Stuart's good friends. Um, and we're so grateful to have him here this morning. He's going to be opening the word for us. He is one of the faithful pastors here um, within our presbytery, within the PD Presbytery, and we have the honor of having him come and um, preach us to us this morning. So, David, welcome. We'll go ahead and invite you to turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Luke chapter 17. And as you're turning there, uh, I will say, um, indeed, thank you, Paul, for that uh, gracious introduction. It is a humble privilege uh, to stand in this uh, pulpit. I have known a number of your pastors and known only kindness uh, from them, from John Ropp uh, to Walt Kendall, who was so kind to me even in his latter years. Uh, and then, of course, Stuart. Uh, and Stuart and I have served uh, the church uh, for a number of years uh, on committees together and uh, enjoyed that uh, friendship. But it's always a special privilege to uh, be able to serve in worship together. Most of the times when we pastors serve together, we serve in our various geographies. And so uh, we uh, get to do that uh, this morning. I, I recognize after Stuart, I know the place enough that after Stuart reads the word, he typically moves over to the music stand because Stuart is more comfortable behind a music stand, but he gets a guitar to hide him. Uh, so if it doesn't bother you, I'm going to stay put. <laughs> uh, I was telling Stuart ahead of time that when I was in fifth grade or sixth grade, uh, I was in the, the children's choir, and the lady cut the choir off and said, Mr. McIntosh, could you lip sync or leave? Uh, <laughs> so I'm not very comfortable behind it. The coyotes might start uh, singing if I, uh, if I get over there. So I'm just going to stay here. Um, I'm looking at, I was looking at the sermon title real quick. The, the, um, the print I had gotten um, was, was slightly off, and I know how difficult it is in uh, putting a bulletin together to get everything just right. But I wanted to make sure your ear hears. We're going to talk about please and thank yous, but there's no E on please. It's to give a plea, to offer a plea. And we'll look at four pleas in this uh, particular passage. And what that has to do... Uh, with our thanksgiving. But just so your ear can pick up on that, uh, please has no E. Uh, and as we would tune our ears to that, uh, let's ask the Lord to turn our heart, tune our hearts uh, to hear his word. Let's pray together. Uh, our God and Father, it is, a, it is a humble reality to recognize that sometimes in the history of your church, the difference between the gospel and heresy has hinged on a single letter. Uh, the difference between what we ought to offer and what we do offer you is often represented in a character. The difference between the law and the gospel comes down at times to the atmosphere of our heart before you and before others. And so we ask as we come to your word this morning that with that self-same precision, you might bring us to the Lord Jesus Christ. And even more, that you would conform us to his blessed and glorious image. For this we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Luke chapter 17 and beginning at verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, 
have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return to give praise to God except, his, except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Now, if you've not picked up on it already this morning, this Sunday is something of a transition uh, Sunday. Uh, there have been little intimations of it already. Uh, you've probably made the transition of this Sunday without even uh, recognizing it. It's not as complicated as the transition we made a couple of Sundays ago, going from daylight savings time to, to standard time where you had to change your clocks. It is a change of seasons, and it's not so much, though, going to change the weather as the weather itself will just, just change because that's what weather does. It will change a couple of things in your life that you probably cycled over this weekend without even paying attention to. The, the list that you keep and the questions that you ask to start conversations. Because uh, this Sunday is the Sunday in which we transition from the Thanksgiving season to the Christmas season. And we transition from our Thanksgiving list, what are we thankful for, to our Christmas list, what do we want? Uh, and, and you probably have already made that transition in some way without even thinking about it. It's so natural to you. But I have a question for you, a conversational question for you in the midst of that. Which of those lists is longer? Which of those lists is more important to you? The Thanksgiving list or the list of what I want? Do you spend more time in, 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 uh, in meditation and, and, and energy in your this is what I'm thankful for or this is what I want uh, list? Uh, because the reality is the length of your thank yous is directly related to your pleas, as in what you plead. And we will see, as I mentioned, we'll, mention, uh, we'll look at four pleas that you find here uh, in this passage. And uh, we begin in verses 11 to 14 with a desperate plea. And, and, and I may feel something of making a desperate plea because I recognize I, I, I'm talking to people that just came out of Thanksgiving, probably already entered into the shopping center, uh, shopping season, have already made themselves presentable for worship and uh, needing to convince you that our uh, pleas, the pleas that connect us together are just as desperate as the pleas uh, in this passage. Uh, so let me give you just a little bit of pastoral counsel as we start. Don't look around the room at what anybody else looks like to you on the outside. Look at yourself on the inside. We know ourselves on the inside. Sometimes that's why we dress ourselves on the outside the way we do, hoping nobody will notice. But look at yourself on the inside, the way Jesus sees you on the inside. And I guarantee it will change the tone of the plea that you make uh, before God. Uh, that's the point of this curious community that we come across in Luke chapter uh, 17. Uh, you notice in verse 12, it's a, it's, it's a leper uh, community. And I, and I call it curious because if you understand Jesus' comment down in verse 18 that it, it was foreigners and nationals, this is one of the few places in Jesus' day in this community that the Jews and the Gentiles were mingling together. And what was causing them to mingle together in this little community was their common 
malady, their uh, desperate need. They, they would say in this village, I presume, they would say as we sometimes say, that, listen, I'm a leper, you're a leper, we're all lepers around here. Only for them, that was not a dismissal. That was a desperate plea. That was a desperate need. And it's heightened here in the passage by the presence of two things. First, that leprosy, but also the presence of Christ. And so you notice, first of all, the, the leprosy that is within. Uh, leprosy was a, a devastating uh, disease. It was a debilitating disease. It, it, it struck your central nervous system. And what it did by doing that was it, um, it, it uh, debilitated you by deadening your senses, uh, by dulling your sensitivity. And, and because of that, oftentimes lepers were, were um, mangled in their, and disfigured in their appearance. Emotionally, because they didn't think, uh, they, they thought it was a contagious disease, and it was, and they didn't think there was a cure for the disease, and it wasn't, the treatment for the disease was quarantine. Now, I don't think I have to talk to folks that just went through COVID to, to even spell out for you how emotionally traumatizing being quarantined uh, can be. But then not only physically and emotionally, spiritually, God had spoken to this particular disease. And God had said that this disease makes you unclean, ceremonially unclean. And so it wasn't just that people wouldn't associate with you, it was that they couldn't associate with you. So to, to receive the diagnosis of leprosy, to, to have leprosy within you, was to lose not just your health. It was to lose your family. It was to lose your church. It was to lose your community. It was, uh, it was, it was to be made unclean. And it's no wonder then, as you see in verse 13, that they lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And I think it begs the question of us as a church. When, when we lift up our voices to God, what does he hear us cry? Does he hear, does he hear something of the, the, the Pharisee, you know, that, that went to church and he looked down on the other people and said, thank God I'm not like that category of person? Or does he hear from our hearts an echo of the tax collectors and the lepers, Lord, have mercy on me? Because you do recognize it's that cry that got all of us into this curious community, isn't it? It was that cry for, for mercy. That's, that's the first membership vow all of us took as we came into this room. We, we, we came in and we declared that, didn't we? That I am, a, I am a sinner in the sight of God. I am justly deserving of his displeasure. I am without hope, save in his sovereign mercy. Friends, it, it, it is uncanny, the parallel between their leprosy in the passage and our sinful condition in the church, our sinful condition in this world. As, as sinners, what do we do? We, we, we come in and we declare, I have a condition inside of me, and it will manifest on the outside of me, and it will, it will make me at times unclean and at times even hideous. It makes me unclean, it distorts me, it disfigures me from the human being that God created me to be. It causes parts of me that were formerly alive to be deadened, to be dulled, and desensitized, and to decay. And the result is not just the alienation I feel from God in that condition, but the isolation and the sense of isolation it would generate 
in society and in fellowship and in, in, in all sorts of other ways because I am unclean. And the mistake that we make in the modern church is that when somebody is honest about that, having that condition, having that type of condition, we go all Old Testament on them rather than New Testament. And what we do is rather than seek the great physician for a cure, we seek separation to appear pure. And that's our, that's our sort of default operation. We still treat sin in the church like it's a disease issue, not a moral issue. And we think that, 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 that therefore, it's, it's some disease that you might catch by contact. And if you're going to catch it by contact rather than the direction of the human heart, then I need to treat it with quarantine rather than with the great physician. And as we do that, as we sort of treat in isolation for fear of contact, we're denying all the while that we're already carriers for it. That we're already carrying, if you will, the dreaded disease of sin. And we mistakenly think that if we can just cover that enough, then we'll be okay. As long as we can just cover the signs of it enough, we'll be presentable. I'm not a medical doctor, but sometimes as a pastor, you you get sort of an amateur medical degree visiting people in the hospital. But I'm pretty sure that no amount of gauze will cure gangrene. You can cover it all you want because it's nasty and it's disgusting and it's decaying. But if you want to be cured, you have to be uncovered before the great physician who can apply his work to it. And that's what we desperately need. And so I want you to to notice, it's not just that these folks recognize we have this leprosy within, but we also have Christ who has come among us. And look at verses 12 to 14 here. Um, We're told that Jesus does four things. And I just want you to just look at the text and the four things that Jesus does and how informative they are. Verse 12, you notice, Jesus entered a village. These lepers were not finding, they didn't find Jesus. They weren't advertising for Jesus. They weren't inviting him to come preach in their church. Jesus found the lepers. Jesus took the initiative to enter into their village uh, because Jesus was entering in to where lepers live. The second one is that Jesus heard. It's it's implied in verse 13. They lifted up their voices, and the implication is Jesus heard those voices. Uh, At the beginning of verse 14, the third thing he does is more explicit. You notice Jesus saw them. Now, friends, if you've ever had a sense that you're in a desperate condition, especially a desperate spiritual condition, you already recognize there is a vast distinction between somebody who lays eyes on you in that condition, who looks and gawks at you in that condition, and who hears noise coming out of your mouth, and someone who actually sees you in that condition. Someone who actually recognizes that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth is speaking and therefore is kind and careful and tender and gentle to hear those words in order to help and to heal that heart. That's what Jesus is doing in this passage. That's how he is hearing and seeing and entering in. And then you notice fourthly there in verse 14, when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. Now, Jesus is... Jesus is um, Saying something more, y'all go hang out with Stuart for a little bit. <laughs> I don't want to mess with you. Y'all go hang out with your pastor. 
Uh, no, remember the, the priests were the leper inspectors of, uh, of the community. They were the, the, the leper inspectors of Israel. They were given that task in the Old Covenant law. And in all likelihood, they were in their condition, they were in their position, they were in their village because they had already done that. They had already gone and shown themselves to those priests and those priests had said, I, I hate to tell you, but you have it. You, you, have that, you have that dread and deadly and, and, and uh, devastating uh, disease. And, and, and as we read the law, as we read God's book, we have to tell you that you're unclean. Now, those lepers could have made the same plea to those priests. Oh, can you have mercy on me? Is there something you can do for me? Is there something you can... Can you, can you help me? Can you heal me? I'm sorry. All we have is the law. And all the law can do is declare. All the law can do is call it as it sees it. And as it sees it, you are unclean. You have the dread disease. You are condemned. You are unclean. Now friends, when you're in a desperate position like that, when you're in a desperate condition like that, Sometimes Jesus comes and he speaks a word to you. And you say, Jesus, I don't know that that word would do me any good. You may not understand the depth of it. You may not understand the intent of it. But Jesus, you notice, he speaks a word to these lepers. And it doesn't immediately appear helpful. In fact, it was, they could have said, wait, wait, Jesus, we've already done that. But you notice they don't do that. Jesus doesn't speak a word about healing. He says, go show yourself to the priest. And they take the soundest advice that anybody can find in all the scripture. The advice of Mary in John chapter 2 at the wedding of Cana. Remember it? Whatever Jesus tells you to do, go and do it. And that's exactly what they do. And so off they go. And, and, and it's interesting, you notice at the end of verse 14, what, what, what happens then is almost just a footnote in verse 14. And as they went, they were cleansed. They were physically healed. They were made ceremonially clean. And that's what generates the thankful plea in verses 15 and 16. So we've had a desperate plea. It's now been transformed into a thankful plea. And, and, and what I want you to do again is just, just, just look at the text here and just follow the motions of this thankfulness and see if it doesn't move you too. You see in verse 15, then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back. What does that tell you? If you think about it, it tells you that for this leper, he was more impressed with Jesus as healer than he was with his own healing. And so he went back to the source. He went back uh, to Jesus. Friends, friends, let me tell you, you cannot be impressed with yourself and impressed with Jesus at the same time. One of the reasons the modern church is not more marked by thanksgiving, but by what I want, I want, I want, I want, is because we're far too impressed with ourselves and not with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And so, uh, you know, in, in, in this season, it's one of the things to ask. Am I marked more by thanksgiving than by what I want? Uh, if you continue on in verse 15, you notice he's, uh, he's praising God with a loud voice. 
Uh, the, the, the language is, is, is fairly easy here, whether you know Greek or not. I can, I can give it to you. You can figure it out. The word for praise here is doxa. You, you, you hear doxology in it. That's where we get the word doxology from. The, the word for, uh, for loud is megas. Mega, you, you hear the word in. And, and literally, if we put it in the order of the Greek, he, lifted his, he didn't just lift his voice, but he lifts his mega voice doxology. Uh, that's, the, that, that's what he's doing here. And, and, and it's, it's something we ought to ask ourselves. When, 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 when I find myself before God, is, is my voice louder in praise or louder in need? Do I lift my voice in need and diminish it in praise? Or do I lift my voice in need and I use my mega voice for praise before God? In verse 16, you notice, he fell on his face at Jesus' feet. If you're paying attention to the geography of the passage, you notice he was first speaking at a distance. He's gone to a further distance, discovered he was healed. He's now closed that distance between he and Jesus Christ. He is no longer standing at a distance. He is right at Jesus' feet. And in that, he takes the position that you see throughout the scripture of those who come to recognize that they have really seen God. They, they have really seen Jesus for who he is and what he does, and they fall flat on their face before his feet. Even John in Revelation, who had leaned on Jesus' chest in the upper room, when he sees Jesus in Revelation, he falls flat on his face at his feet. But that is the proximity of closeness that every saint desires. Friends, when's the last time you saw Jesus with the clarity that you felt all you could do is fall at his feet, and yet at the same time you felt there's nothing else you'd want to do but to fall at his feet and to love and to trust and to enjoy him? And that's what this leper is doing. But you notice also, what's he doing there? He's giving thanks. Now, the tense of that word tells us that he, he's continually doing that. He didn't just say, thank you, and, and it's done as a moment. He's continually doing that. But the word itself is a word reserved for giving thanks to God. So here is this one who has come to fall at Jesus' feet, and he has continually given to Jesus the thanksgiving he would give to God. And Jesus is taking it in. Jesus is receiving. It's one of those uh, subtle ways in which Jesus claims, we see the claim uh, to Jesus' deity, to his godhood. It's he's, right there. But let me, let me ask you a principal question about that. What do you give thanks for? Now, you know, our mechanical, the mechanical minded people, you just started making a list. What do I, what do I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not asking for a list, I'm, ask, I'm asking for a, cate uh, a, a category, a, a kind. What kinds of things? Do you give thanks for? Probably the things that you, you value immensely and feel you did not contribute anything to. That you received as, as a pure gift. And so you give thanks. You give thanks for that. And that is exactly what he is doing here. But you remember Paul's exhortation in 1 Corinthians 4? What do you have that you've not received? Everything that we have, we have received from God's hand. So... Why, having received it, do you boast as if you didn't? Do you boast as if you had not received it? And so you see, when we see Jesus as he really is, and when we see Jesus for what he really does, you can't help but perpetually be pouring out your thanks to him because what you have received, you have received as a pure gift. 
And then at the end of verse 16, almost punchline-like, you just, you just get this declaration. He was a Samaritan. Uh, you remember, we know from uh, Jesus' episode with the woman at the well, Jews and Samaritans, they don't associate. Why not? Because the Samaritans have their way of worshiping, and the Jews have their way of worshiping. The, the Samaritans have their priest, and the Jews have their priest, Right? So let me, let me just ask you one more question about this scene while this leper is, is there at, at Jesus' feet. What is this leper doing returning to Jesus and falling at his feet? He's doing exactly what Jesus told him to do. What did Jesus tell him to do? Go and show yourself to the priest. Now, it's a mixed group. He knows you can go to that priest, you can go to that priest. In other words, he's saying, you go and show yourself to the priest of your choice. And the leper has chosen, and he is showing himself to Jesus. You see, you can go and you can show yourself to the Samaritan priest. You can go and show yourself to the Jewish priest, and all they can do is look at you. All they can do is judge you. All they can do is declare clean or unclean. But when you show yourself to Jesus as priest, you notice in this passage, he is not judging in this moment. He is taking. He is taking this man's uncleanness on himself. And he has made him clean. Who, who would not want to come to this priest? Who, who would ever want to go to any other priest than this priest? And that's actually what generates the third plea, the, 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 the bewildered plea. And you see it there in verses 17 and 18. It's all the more bewildering because the bewilderment is coming from Jesus himself. Notice, notice the three questions Jesus asks here, bewildered. He says, first of all, in verse 17, were not ten cleansed? Yeah, that's not, uh, uh, Dad, did, uh, did it work? Because uh, were ten cleansed? Did it, that's not, that's not the, uh, the Greek grammar has the capacity to tell you, even in a rhetorical question, what the expected answer is, positive or negative. So the expected answer is yes, ten were cleansed. That, that of course, generates um, his, uh, his second question there. If, if ten were cleansed then, where are the nine? What's Jesus' expectation? All ten should have come back. That's what he was standing there waiting on. That's what he was expecting. All ten should have returned. Now, if, if we were talking about money, you know what we'd say? Jesus, you got your tithe. What else can you ask for? Right? It, it shows us how mechanically, how mechanically we respond to God and the things that he commands us, the things that he asks of us. That, that, you know, that what we really are trying to do is, is, is just manipulate him in that way. Friends, if, if you go to church or you go to God in prayer... Because you, you have a need or you, you're in a condition that you need uh, something to happen in. And, and you go to church and you go to prayer and Jesus gives you that need, that thing that you think you need. Or he changes that condition and you're not closer to Jesus by that but you're further away. Or by having gotten that you go away. You weren't after Jesus in the first place. You were just using Jesus to get what you want. And, and that's something we need to be mindful of. That's something we need to examine our hearts for. So you see in verse 13, all ten lepers were there speaking to Jesus at arm length. Anybody will speak to Jesus at arm length. That's why we love Christmas. And baby can't mess with me. 
guy on the cross, that's a different story. Uh, but, 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 you know, you ask all kinds of things. You hold Jesus at, at arm's length. But now that they've gotten what they want from Jesus, they're nowhere to be found. They're, they're like the pitiful people at the feeding of the 5,000. So consumed with consuming bread. The bread of this world. That they miss the bread of life. Friends, don't be like that in this room when the bread of life is being sown to you week after week after week and be consumed with what it can get you in this life when the bread of life is being offered to you, Jesus himself. Friends, Jesus is not a means to our end. He is the end that we're after. We do, we do not come to Jesus and pray and say, Jesus, you are so good, you are so powerful, you, you, you can get me what I want better than anybody else can. And, and when you give me that thing, I would discard you because I've got the thing that I want. No, we come to Jesus and we come to Jesus in prayer to say, Jesus, you are the thing that I want. And in this need and in this situation and in this circumstance that you have orchestrated in my life, give me yourself and I will be satisfied. Give me yourself and I will be glad. Give me yourself and I will be at your feet giving thanksgiving. Then he asked a third question there in uh, verse 18. Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? What does that tell you about Jesus' end? Jesus was not after making you presentable to society, making you presentable to one another. He is after making you presentable to God. But for that to happen, he actually has to change our plea. We've had a desperate plea. We've had a thankful plea a bewildered plea. And now what we need is a reversal of pleas. What, what plea did the Samaritan enter? What plea did the Samaritan enter for himself in verse 13? Have mercy on me. When do you pray for mercy? When do you plead for mercy? When you know you can't plead for innocence. When you know that you're guilty and you can't plead for innocence. When we pray, we use mercy and grace all the time in the church. And sometimes I think we forget what they mean because we use them so much. When you plead for mercy, you're asking not to get what you do deserve. When you plead for grace, you are asking to get what you don't deserve. You see, there are two sides of the same gospel coin, but the plea for mercy must always come first. Now, in the church, we, are, we, we, we get all excited about grace. We, 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 we encourage one another in grace. We, we, we stir up uh, the plead for grace, but we have, to be, we have to be careful in that because we can turn the plea to grace to mean what we, we just really like getting free stuff, and we really like avoiding being forgiven of stuff. And in that, what we end up doing is kind of subtly and sinisterly turning grace into an insurance policy to make sure we can get what we really do think in our heart of hearts we deserve. And that is to disgrace grace. So the plea for mercy always comes first. And that's the plea that the Samaritan entered. The, the, the guilty plea. What does Jesus do with his plea? What, 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 
what pleaded Jesus enter on his behalf? Verse 19. He reverses the Samaritan's plea to not guilty. You notice that? Verse 19. And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Go your way. You're free to go. Why? Because your faith has made you well. Now, 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 literally what he says there is your faith has saved you. He says, you go your way because you are saved by faith. Now, now he doesn't use our favorite uh, Reformation word. You know, we, we're not in Romans, we're in Luke. Uh, you know, he, does, he doesn't say you're justified, but justification certainly fits under the umbrella of this word uh, for saved uh, here. Uh, and, and what has attached you to that salvation is your faith. Now, 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 now listen carefully, because sometimes we get confused about it. You, you understand, faith doesn't do anything. All faith does is connect you to the object of your trust. Okay? So, so, so yesterday, if, if you had faith that your team would win, then uh, that faith doesn't do anything but attach you to the team of your choice. If you did not attach that faith to a team that actually won... That faith has no capacity to change the scoreboard. That, that, that faith just attaches you to the object that you are in trust of. And Jesus is saying to this leper, as he would say to you, you have attached your faith to that which is saving. You have ta- attached your faith to that which will save you because you've attached your faith to the Savior. We're, we're, we're transitioning into Christmas season. We can use Christmas verses now. Uh, Matthew 1, verse 21. Why is Jesus named Jesus? Because he will save, same word, his people from their sin. That is what the leper is trusting. But how can Jesus legitimately do that? How can Jesus justly reverse this man's plea from guilty to go free? the same way he does it for everybody else. And it's actually in the text, in the place you probably paid the least attention to. It's in verse 11. Where is Jesus when he says this? He is on the way to Jerusalem. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. Where is Jesus? He is on the way to Jerusalem. He is on the way to the cross. He is on the way to taking your uncleanness upon himself that you might be made clean. That he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. And I think there's even a little hint of the how he's going to do that. I don't know if Luke intended this, but it works. If you know the geography of Israel, you know that Luke doesn't describe the geography correctly. He doesn't describe it in the normal flow of things. Luke says that he was traveling between Samaria and Galilee on his way to Jerusalem. Okay? It's like I was traveling between Sumter and Columbia on my way to the beach. And, 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 and you say, wait a minute, that, that, that's, that's not the normal flow of things. You, you need to change, you know, English teacher types, so you, you need to fix that sentence so it clarifies because that's not going in the normal flow of things. Jesus would say, don't you dare change that sentence. That's exactly what I'm doing. I'm not going in the normal flow of things. Because you know the normal flow of things in the Old Testament ethic was what? It was to unclean. Everything flowed to unclean. If you were unclean, you had to go, I'm unclean, unclean, stay away from me, you might get it. 
If you were clean and you touched that which was unclean, or you had something that was clean and it touched that which was unclean, it caught uncleanness and it was, there was more uncleanness. Jesus says, I am reversing the normal course of things. We might could say it better. I'm reversing the normal curse of things. Bring your uncleanness to me. I am clean. I am clean. And you will catch my cleanness. I will make you clean. I will cleanse you. In the Old Testament, you, know, you had to lift up your voice like these lepers. Like, unclean, unclean, stay away from me. And Jesus, you see, is saying, I'm clean, I'm clean, and I have come for you. Now give your unclean to me. Give me your spiritual leprosy. Give me that spiritual leprosy that has affected not just your neurological center, but your, your command and control center, and has taken uh, that that resides in your heart, and it is coming out your life, and it is making you desensitized, and it is making you dull, and it is making you disfigured, and you give that to me. And, and you know what we want to do? We say, wait, wait, Jesus, I know enough of you to know I can't do that. Because I'm an unclean sinner, sinner and you are so clean. And Jesus says, I know, I am this clean in order to cleanse you. I am this clean in order to save you. Now you take that that makes you unclean and you give it to me because I am the Savior of sinners. You don't know what to do with it, but I do. And in a way that will bring glory to God and blessing to you. Now bring your heart to me, your unclean heart to me, and I will cleanse it. And how do you know when you've done that? When your thanksgiving list far exceeds your Christmas list. When your thanksgiving list far exceeds your I want, I want, I want, I want, I want list. You see, please and thank yous express much more than manners. They express proximity to Christ. And they flow in a much different direction than manners do. Because with these pleas and these thank yous, we say, on my way to Jesus, I went to Christmas, and then I went to Thanksgiving, and then I found my way to him. And so I want you to recognize that Jesus, as he speaks to you from this text this morning, is now ready to tell you the same thing that he told that leper. He's going to tell you, and you are going to rise, and you're going to go your way. Which way will you go? Which way will you go? If you recognize the inner leprosy of your heart, if you've been able to see yourself in that inner filth and you have not come to Christ in that, that's the way you need to go. You need to go to Christ and you need to lift your voice to him and you need to say, Jesus, Master, have mercy on me. Fall at his feet as Lord and Savior and he will make you well. But what if you've done that? Which way will you go? I hope you go.
the direction of the leper. It's, it's not in Scripture, but it is sort of the momentum of the passage to some degree. Where did the leper go? I can't help but imagine that this leper went to his nine friends. Friendship that had been forged in immense sin and suffering so much that they had a community in that. And said to those nine friends, guys, you haven't got but the half of it. Because after the cry of mercy comes the cry of grace. Grace that is able to cover all your sins. And that grace is only found at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so come to Christ, all the ends of the earth, and be saved. To whom could you more want to come and be found presentable? And it's one of the beauties of the gospel that we've already heard echo through this service. All you have to do is come. He will make you presentable without spot or wrinkle or blemish or any such thing. All to the praise of his glory and his grace. And may we lift our mega voices to that. Let's pray together. Our God and Father, we do indeed come and bow before you in the goodness of your news to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is news. It is an announcement. It's not something we do. It's something about you. And so we come to the Lord Jesus Christ as the one whom you have sent to be our priest, to lay down his life for our sin, to bear our burden on the cross, and to take it away as far as the east is from the west. And to breathe into us by his Holy Spirit new life, new creation, that we might be made well. And so, Father, as we go from this place, may we not leave this place before our mega voices are raised to you in doxology and thanksgiving. And as we go our way, may it be the way of Christ. And him having so filled our hearts with this gospel, may it overflow our lives and overflow our speech to all those with whom we come in contact. And may we in that way be ambassadors for Christ and implore them on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. And this we ask by your grace and for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.